Uh, we'd like to invite the kids, if they would, join Mr. and Mrs. Bissell there in the back. They'll go down to Renovation Kids and hear uh, a little bit about uh, Advent and uh, the gospel message down there. Uh, <clears throat> and you guys get stuck up here with me. For those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, Dan Hammond. I'm one of the residents here at uh, Renovation. Uh, I've worked uh, with Renovation since this summer. We focused a lot on some mission stuff this uh, summer, getting to know the neighborhood, and we let you guys know about some of that. Now I'm uh, focusing more on some discipleship things, some uh, missional communities. By the way, if you don't know what a missional community is or you'd like to be a part of one, you can talk to me. I'd love to get you connected. Uh, also, formation groups. Again, if you don't know what a formation group is or you'd like to get connected, talk to me. I'd love to talk to you after the service. So um, <clears throat> I, that's what I've been focusing a lot of my time on here uh, at Renovation. And they have allowed me to get up in front of all of you and talk. But I want to thank, thank my... <laughs> I want to thank Mike, I want to thank all the guys here uh, for allowing me to do this. And I'm excited, uh, and uh, we'll see how excited you get here in a minute. But before I begin, uh, pray with me, please. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you. We thank you that um, you have come. <clears throat> and I pray that uh, as we wait for you to come again, that we wait with great expectation. And that in the waiting and the longing, uh, that we know that we will be filled and let us rest in that hope. And please move us to action. Amen. Uh, before I get started with things, yes, I have a whiteboard. Yes, I am a teacher. And you cannot take the teacher out of the classroom, okay? Or the, what, what is it? The teacher out of the classroom, but the classroom out of the, whatever. Anyway, I got a whiteboard. So, uh, and I'm going to write on it. So, that, but before, before we, we're going to talk about Advent. We're going to talk about Christmas. We're going to talk about all kinds of Christmassy things. But before we get to that, I want to talk about something else that is very, very close to me and very important to me. So, gentlemen, you could... Uh <laughs> I just wanted I wanted you to I just wanted you to to feel that and to get into that uh, because uh, I'm in that spirit as well this season. Okay, uh, that you, can, you go ahead and put that picture back up there. You don't have to play the music unless you want to, but go ahead and just put the okay. Uh, Star Wars: Force Awakens, the new Star Wars movie, uh, it comes out December 18th of this next month. Okay, uh, but I'm not going to talk about that yet. Uh, last month on October 19th. Some of you might have were there for this. Uh, the New York Giants played the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football. Okay? Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the ratings for that Monday Night Football were higher than any other Monday Night Football in the history of Monday Night Football. Okay? Yeah. Uh, they were actually, uh, compared to the previous week, when I think the, the Steelers might have been playing, uh, the, the, it was up, it was up, at least 13 to 15 percent from the from the previous of people that watched this watch Monday Night Football. Okay, uh, now, but this night was different. And in fact, 15 minutes before halftime, the ratings went up even higher. Right, it kicked up even higher because during halftime, they played the trailer to this movie. And there were more nerds trying to find ESPN on their phone that night than any other, any other time of the year, okay? And, and th in fact, uh, there were an estimated 16 million people tuned in to watch halftime of Monday Night Football that night. 16 million. The average is uh, somewhere under 13 million people that watch it. So there are an extra 3 million uh, people like myself watching football uh, that night. And just to see this trailer, right? And in fact, that's when they released the pre-sale tickets, if you guys remember that. Uh, Fandango and all these other uh, sale sites, ticket sale sites, uh, in fact, in the first few minutes, all crashed because of everybody that was trying to buy pre-sale tickets uh, for Star Wars, okay? Not just Fandango, but a number of the other ones. They crashed because so many people were trying. They said that they sold, in pre-sale tickets, over $6 million worth of tickets for pre-sale. Okay? The second place to that is Hunger Games, somewhere around a million dollars in pre-sale tickets. Six times as much. Right? Are you fact-checking me, Stark? I see you down there. Are you fact-checking me? Okay? 
<clears throat> but it's ridiculous, right? 16 million people tuned in for a preview of a movie. Not even the movie. The preview of the movie, the trailer, the part that shows you just a little bit more than they've already seen in some of the behind-the-scenes sets that they've been looking up on YouTube. Perhaps there's something I haven't seen yet, they say. And so they tune in. And that's what they saw, 16 million people. But the buildup to this didn't start the night before, right? It didn't even start the week before or the month before when they said, hey, we're going to show this trailer on Monday Night Football with the release of tickets, right? And it didn't even start a, a year previous when they started releasing the teaser trailers for the movie. The buildup didn't even start a, a couple years or a few years earlier when they said, hey, we're making a new Star Wars movie. The buildup to this started years and years and years ago. May 25th, 1977, it was a Wednesday. It's when they released the original Star Wars movie, okay? Released in under 30 theaters the first night. In fact, George Lucas himself, because he didn't think it was going to do too well, took a vacation with his wife to Hawaii so he wouldn't be around during the premiere of the movie that he made. But when he was in Hawaii, after Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, he went to one of the theaters and he noticed this line that was going out the door and he's like, what movie are they showing? And he looks up at the marquee, Star Wars, by me, right? It had picked up day after day after day and ended up making a little over a million dollars its opening weekend, which isn't much, right? But still, to consider what they thought it would be. And they, in fact, uh, because it ended up doing so well, a few years later, they made a second one, a sequel, and they had to change the name of the first one and put a little subtitle on it, Episode 4, because they had to make Episode 5 and 6. And then they made these other movies, and it begins to catch momentum and build up and build up even more. And then you come to more my generation, right? I wasn't born yet when the first movie came out. I had to Google that, Okay. But I wasn't around, I, I, but during my lifetime, they, they, they released the prequels. That's when I was in high school, okay? Now, <clears throat> say what you want about episodes one, two, and three, okay? I saw the premiere of episode one, Phantom Menace. I didn't just see the premiere of episode one. I, with a, a handful of my friends, sat in line for six hours to be third through eighth in line. There were two nerdier people in front of us that had been there longer but we sat in line, okay, and waited and waited and waited to, to, to watch this movie. And, and it was worth it, right? We got on the news next to this guy that was dressed like Darth Maul, right? Okay? We, were, we were on the news. And in fact, I'll tell you how, how nerdy the group is. And this is a little story. We're standing there, and the people behind us, a group of guys start quoting Monty Python, okay? Uh, one scene, they didn't miss a beat from this scene, and in fact, the entire crowd around us, everybody, there must have been at least 30 people joined in quoting one complete scene out of Monty Python without missing a beat. That's my friends, okay? <laughs> but that's it. We got in, and we watched this movie, and in fact, I saw Star Wars Episode One five times in the first week. I had a lot of friends that hadn't seen it, so I needed to accompany them to see this, right? And I'm not, it's not my most proud moment that I've seen that movie more than once, but uh, this, I, you know, I, I liked them. It was a build-up, right? Because it was my, it was my generation's, it was our Star Wars. This, that's our Star Wars, right? Now, fast forward a little bit, and I, now understand, I didn't push it on my children, okay? I, out of respect for my wife, I didn't push any of my nerddom on my children, but when my son starts talking about the Clone Wars, and he starts asking me about, like, he starts watching Star Wars Rebels on Disney. I'm like, oh, sure, go ahead, right? And he starts asking me about, like, Darth Vader and, and, and Yoda and all these questions. I happily, happily answer these questions, right? And in fact, I have shown uh, all of the movies to, to the boys, and I showed them in the correct order, four, five, six, one, two, three, okay? Um, and he, oh, Vito always asks me how my favorite, and my order of favorite, okay, you can argue with me, six, five, four, three, one, two. And he's like, why do you like two the worst? I say, Ew, right? Okay? But, that is, but I, I pass this on, on to my boys and on to my kids. And, and in fact, Vito uh, has invited me and a, a number of my family to go see this movie. Uh, his birthday was this week, but that's what he wanted to see his, for, for his birthday. He wanted to go see the new Star Wars movie. So we're going to see that uh, December 19th because we don't go see things on opening day. But 
I'll wait for the, ne- we'll wait for the next day. Uh, but we're going to go see it. Uh, now, uh, understand, though, all of the buildup started years and years previous. All the buildup to this movie, and even just this preview of a movie, was years and years and years building up to this. But it was still, that night, October 19th, just a preview. Just a trailer to a movie. A lot of buildup. Now, <clears throat> we're in the season of buildup right now, right? Right after Thanksgiving, we build up in a certain way on Thanksgiving. But then after Thanksgiving, right, we start looking forward to Christmas. And there's all kinds of things that we do as we build up and we prepare for Christmas, right? Uh, we, we decorate the house. We make food, right? Uh, we sing songs or play songs on the radio while we bake food, right? And then we also uh, make travel plans to go visit with family so we're, we can go eat more food. And then we also uh, maybe go caroling. And after caroling, we eat food. And, and there's lots of things we do as we build up for Christmas and as we prepare for Christmas, right? But we know even food isn't the reason that we celebrate, right? We know that all of the things that we prepare for, the lights and these pretty things, a lot of that, that's not what the season is about. We know what it is about. It's about Jesus, right? And that's why when I, when I grew up, no matter how many gifts we would ask for and how many things my parents would give us, my dad would make sure that every Christmas Eve night we would read from Luke. And every Christmas morning we would read from Matthew. And we read about the true Christmas story. We'd read about the star in the sky, and we'd read about the magi bringing the gifts and the shepherds that would, came to worship this little baby, because that's what it's all about. It's about God coming as man to be with us, and not just to be with us, and not just to uh, dwell among us, not just to hang out. He came to save us, and that's what the season's about, right? He came to save us, but... We know the buildup for Christmas doesn't start on Black Friday. We know it doesn't even start in September when I start playing Christmas music. Okay? We know that the buildup uh, is more than just a few months or a few years. In fact, the buildup to not just this Christmas, but every Christmas and the original Christmas when Jesus came, the buildup to that went back years and years and years. I mean, we, we heard about it read by the Maisies this morning. In the beginning, we begin to hear the promises. We hear the promises of someone that's going to come from the line of Adam that's going to destroy the enemy. And we hear about this promise to Abraham later on in Genesis, this promise that is given to him that he will have a multitude of people in his family. He will be the father of many, and it's through this line and through him that will be a blessing to the world. And later on, we, we hear about guys like Moses, who's given similar promises that we learned about in Exodus when we studied Exodus, right? These promises that he's going to free them from captivity and that he's going to make them his people and they are going to be his. And we also see in that story what we call types, things that foreshadow things to come. In the story of Exodus, we remember the Passover lamb, this last of these uh, plagues on Egypt. And we see that as they are getting ready to leave Egypt, and the way that they get out is that God sends this spirit to kill the firstborn. And the way that the Hebrew people are saved is that they sacrifice this pure, spotless lamb. They put the blood on the doorposts, and the spirit passes over them, and they're able to go. And this Passover lamb is a foreshadow of the lamb, Jesus this pure spotless lamb who would give his life and shed his blood so that we can go free. We also see types and foreshadows in people like Joshua who lead their people into the promised land. By the way, he shares a name with Jesus. And later on, we see guys like King David, right? As messed up as some of the decisions he made, he set the example for what a king is and what a king should be, so much that they sought after someone who would rule just like David. And of course, the kings of Israel were up and down. There were good kings, there were bad kings, there were uh, kings that did good in the eyes of the Lord. There were some kings that did poorly in the eyes of the Lord, but continued to move on and move on. And these prophets would come and speak to these kings, and they tried to shake some sense into them. 
And then they would give the people message of hope as they were driven into exile and taken away from their homes. They would give them messages of hope and say, there is somebody coming. Somebody will come that's going to reign like David in righteousness. And he's going to free you like Moses. And so they started looking for this anointed leader, this Messiah that would come and free them and lead them. And they had hope in that. And the stories would be told from generation to generation, fathers to sons, and then the sons would grow up and they'd tell the stories from them to their sons. And it would be passed on over and over and over again through the years. Every generation, they'd talk about the heroes and they'd talk about the villains and they talk about the good and the bad, and they talk about how one is going to come to bring balance to everything. And then he came. He didn't come like a trailer on a Monday night football. He came quietly and humbly as a carpenter's son in a manger. But the Messiah, God wrapped in flesh, came to save us. It's what we call the incarnation. The incarnation is when God took on our flesh, and he not, when he takes on our flesh, it's not just that he looks like us. When he chooses to do this, he chooses to step into our pains, step into our confusions, step into our hurts, experience the loss that we experience, the hurt that we experience. But he does this to free us from it. He came to do that to save us from the effects of sin on our life and save us from sin itself. But what if I said that the incarnation, the life and ministry of Jesus, pointed to something more, like a preview. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the incarnation is not important. I'm not saying that the incarnation is inessential. It is essential to who we are as the people of God. There's no other way. God coming as flesh was important and vital to who we are as God's people in that action, the action of God. But the life and the ministry of Jesus, the things that he did and the things that he taught and the things that he did the best are things that point to something that's coming in the future. What is that thing? I'm glad you asked. Everybody turn to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22. <clears throat> They're going to put up uh, the text up here. It might be slightly different than what I read. I read from the New American Standard. Uh, this is the e uh, ESV, I believe. So some words might be a little different, but hang in there. We're going to read Revelation 22, verses 6 through 21, the end of the book. And then, <clears throat> this is John. He says, And he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and behold, I am coming quickly. It's Jesus talking. Hopefully you have red letters in your Bible too. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things, but he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren and the prophets and those who heed the words of this book worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let, those, let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy steep, still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. To render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and people who love and practice lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears 
say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. <clears throat> we find in this chapter of Revelation, John is writing uh, the end of this prophecy, this vision that he is getting, and here we hear again from Jesus. Now Jesus says three times in here that John writes down, sort of a warning. I am coming quickly. I say sort of a warning, because it's a warning as much as uh, when your brother or sister says something like, hey, dad's coming, right? For some of us, most of us in this room, I would say, uh, that's a comforting thing. It's an exciting thing. We say, hey, dad is coming, or mom's coming, right? It's exciting. Like, there's nothing, as a father, there's nothing better I can think of than when I'm, 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 I'm dragging home from work, and I'm totally exhausted, and I come walking, and my kids have their faces pressed against the glass, and they're looking at me, and they're like, Daddy's here, Daddy's here, right? Because someone inside said, hey, Daddy's home, and they ran out of excitement, and they couldn't wait to see me. Most of us in this room were like that as kids, right? We had nothing to hide. We were excited. Now, other people, people not here, okay, were on the other side of that coin. When their brother or sister said something like, hey, dad's coming, right? They'd quickly stop what they're doing because dad's coming and they don't want to get caught, okay? I know the sound also when I'm, when I'm stepping up the stairs to go up to the boy's room and as I, I hear my steps, they hear them too and I hear little steps back into bed where they should be, right? So the warning is the same, but it's taken differently by two sides. And the same is here. When Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, people will hear this. And some people are excited. Some people can't wait. Some people want him here now. But some people don't. Some people are afraid of what might happen when he does. And still there are some that have no feeling at all. They don't really know because they don't understand. You say, hey, Jesus is coming. And they're like, Jesus who? And that's even sadder. Because they haven't had the chance to hear, they haven't had the chance to enter into that relationship with the Heavenly Father, and they have no idea what it means when say, to, say, to say Jesus is coming. Luckily, though, as we hear sort of this warning of sorts, we are also filled or given uh, what I'm going to call three promises or three blessings. Uh, as, as the promise of Jesus coming is in the first and the middle and the end of this chapter, we also see uh, that there are three promises that are given uh, in verse 6, in verse 12, and in verse 14. Uh, the first one he says uh, is, here's my whiteboard, blessed are those who heed the word. He says, blessed are those who heed the word of this prophecy, who listen to the truth of what I am saying. Blessed are they, happy are they. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we see, uh, we hear these words. The word hear, we hear the word listen. It's repeated over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament, right? Uh, in Deuteronomy, as, as uh as Moses is given the law, we hear this word over and over again. It's in one thing we call the Shema. Hear, O Israel, our Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Right? And he says, listen to these commandments, listen to these statutes. Moses says it's over and over, hear and listen. Joshua says it again when he repeats the thing, hear and listen. And even Ezra, when he reads the law, if the temple is rebuilt, he says, hear and listen. But for them, the words hear and listen are always attached to this other word. This other word that isn't very popular among us, this word, obey. Every time that they hear and they listen, the natural reaction is to do what they hear and what they listen. To hear for them is to obey. So when he says, hear these commandments, it's understood that they're going to do them. And they, in fact, repeat, we will do all of these things which you have said. 
So for them, to hear is to obey. For us, to hear is to barely even listen. But we see that they are to listen to the words and obey them. It is understood that when they hear them, that their actions follow. We find uh, James, the brother of Jesus, as he writes his letters, he talks about the same thing. Right? He says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. Right? Don't just hear these things. Actually put them into your life and practice them. He says somebody that looks at the word of God and reads it and then walks away and doesn't do it is like somebody who looks into a mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like. Now, I know most people in here have looked at a mirror. Most of you. right? But when you walk away, you don't forget what you look like. We don't do that. But somehow, when we read the Word of God, we look at it, and then we go on to something else. Something that we don't think is more important, and we would admit is more important, but we do with our actions and with our lives. We admit that other things are more important because our our actions don't reflect what we hear. They don't reflect what we understand. Now, Jesus also talks about this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, all of these things that I teach you, put them into practice. He says, somebody who doesn't do this, someone who hears these things and doesn't put them to practice is like this, this guy who goes out and he builds this house. It's a wonderful house. He builds it, builds it, builds it, right? But the problem is it's on sand. And so the rains come down and the floods come up. The rains come down the floods come up. The rains come down the floods come up. And the house on the sand goes splat. Okay, I, I, somebody was laughing. I think we, one person has heard that song, Okay. Okay. But the rains come down the house because there's no foundation to what they're doing. Because they aren't following what they hear and they aren't, their actions do not reflect that which they're listening to. But he says, on the other hand, if you hear these words and you put them into action, it's like building your house on a rock. And your house will be built, the rains will come, the floods may come, the storms will pass by, but your house will stand. Because nothing can tear it down because you're built on the right foundation, because your actions reflect what you have heard. Now, the second promise that he gives, he says, uh, that I he says that you will be rewarded according to your deeds. And Jesus says this in an interesting way. He says, um, uh, the reward is with me, he says. Verse 12, the reward is with me to render to everyone according to their actions or according to their deeds. Now, this is one for me that was a troublesome one because this one sounds uh, a lot like legalism, right? I always thought that grace was free. I thought that God just gave it to me because I believed. But here it sounds like my reward is based on what I do, right? And that was a tough one for me to, to swallow. But then I kept reading James And I kept looking at what James had to say about this. He doesn't just talk about words, listening, and action. He also talks about this faith and deeds thing. This issue that we have sometimes of, do I still need to do good things? Do I still need to worry about uh, what I do if I'm covered in grace of God? Do I need to worry about this? And he says, yes. He says, in fact, uh, you may proclaim that you believe something. You may say with all of your heart and with all of your might that you believe something, and in your mind you can understand it. He says, but if your life doesn't reflect it, if you don't have deeds that go along with it, then that faith that you proclaim, he doesn't just say that it's got a limp. He doesn't just say that it's uh, tired. He says that your faith is dead. Without good deeds, without these works, your faith is dead. Because you should hear and you should experience and you should know the grace of God to be so strong and so changing in your life that your life will change and your actions will follow. Paul says it like this. In view of the mercy of God, offer your lives as a living sacrifice. In view of what you see God has done throughout history and what you experience that he has done in your life, now the only reaction, he says it's the reasonable thing to do. It's what makes sense. He has given so much to you. Now you give back to him and you give in action and in deed. Now, Paul pulls a lot of this Old Testament imagery 
and that whole conversation that he's talking about, the grace of God. He pulls a lot of this Old Testament uh, stuff. And in fact, in the Old Testament, we read a lot about these, uh, uh, these commands that were given. Right? I've already talked a little bit about those. that He said, listen to these commands. In fact, from Exodus through Deuteronomy, you read about over 600 uh, rules, commands, statutes, stipulations, whatever you want to call them. Uh, we hear about 600, over 600 of those. Now, these Jewish people, they called those the mitzvot, the commands of God. And they also referred to these as good deeds. So if you were to uh, do these good deeds, you would stay in line with the path that God has given you, right? That's why he says stuff like, don't turn to the right or turn to the left. Because the path that we stay on as we practice these things, as we keep the commands of God, keep us in line toward what we might call righteousness, but it also keeps us in line toward coming into the presence of God and coming to be like God and have the character of God. These good deeds. In fact, some rabbis describe these good deeds, keeping the commands of God, uh, as planting the seeds of Eden. I think it's a beautiful imagery. That every time we keep the commands of God, we are bringing heaven to earth. Now Jesus was asked, what's the best one? If you had to list them, Jesus, in order from 1 through 613, which one would you start with? And Jesus says, easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Right out of Deuteronomy 6. Jesus really knew his Bible, by the way. I didn't know if he knew that. And then he says, wait a minute, there's also another one. So Jesus says, you ask me one question, I'll give you two answers. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. In fact, he says you love God and you love others. All of the law, all of these commands, these mitzvot, these good deeds, hang on those two commands. Meaning, if you can truly love God with all of who you are, and you love your neighbor in the same way, then you will fulfill all of the commands. If our actions reflect the love that we have been given, and it truly is driven by the love that is inside of us, we will fulfill all of these good deeds. Now, the last uh, thing he talks about in verse 14, he says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who wash their robes. <clears throat> this one, he draws a contrast, right? He draws a contrast between those that wash their robes are the ones that have access to the tree of life. They come in by the gate, but everybody else, they're outside. They're outside of the gate, these liars and these dogs. But he says those that have washed their robes may come in. Again, Old Testament previews of what's to come. <clears throat> He's drawing uh, this vision uh, or, or these, this imagery from the Old Testament, right? Uh, we look at one place that it comes out most in the Old Testament. We look in Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest Aaron. Before he goes into the Holy of Holies, before he comes into the presence of God, he takes a bath which is a good thing. We should do that regularly, more than once a year. But he takes a bath. It's more of a ritual thing. Okay? Uh, he takes this bath and he puts on white robes. And he puts on these priestly garments. And he makes the sacrifices that atone for the sins of all of the people of Israel. And then he goes into the presence of God, is able to go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence meets the presence of man. Lucky guy. He was able to do this. But first he was washed clean, wearing these white robes. And this imagery of whiteness, uh, white is also uh, all throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah, he says that your sins were, are like scarlet, but they will be washed white as snow. Sorry, I said the S word. Snow. But when we get into Revelation, if you read a little earlier in Revelation 7, we also see a picture of all these people. It says those that have had their those that have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, they stand and they worship him and they sing to him and they glorify him. Because those that have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. He's pulling again that Old Testament imagery that is pointed to Jesus. And now Jesus, his blood covers us and washes us and purifies us and saves us. It gets rid of all the sin 
and all the hurt and all the pain, it removes it from who we are. And now we stand spotless. And we are able to come into the presence of God in the gate and have access to the tree of life. But all others stand outside. Now, <clears throat> remember I did say something about the incarnation being a preview. And uh, I want to explain that a little bit more. See, if we look at the life of Jesus, we see three main things that he does. Three main things that Jesus does. Jesus teaches, Jesus heals, and Jesus atones. Was that an amen? Was that an amen? That's awesome. Okay? Jesus teaches, Jesus heals, and Jesus atones. I'm going to write those down. See, Jesus... When he teaches us, he teaches us about the kingdom that is coming, right? He talks about the character of the kingdom. He talks about how it's going to be when uh, he comes back. He talks about how we should live now. He teaches us all these things. Sometimes he teaches directly, and sometimes he's a little bit angry and frustrated. But sometimes he teaches in parables, and it's kind of disguised, and people don't even understand. Even his own disciples are having trouble with those types of things, right? But he's talking about the most important things, and he teaches crowds, he teaches individuals, he teaches uh, the religious leaders, he teaches everybody. That's what he does. He's a teacher. But we don't understand. Sometimes we don't understand. We look back and we read his stories and we see what he teaches, and sometimes we're like, I get it. But sometimes we're like, I don't understand. Right? But don't feel bad. Guys like Peter who followed him around for three years were still asking questions. We see later on that they did get it, a little bit, but they were still asking questions, and sometimes they begin to argue about what Jesus said. And we argue sometimes about what Jesus says. Sometimes uh, we, we start, almost start completely new churches because we argue about what Jesus said. I'm going to go ahead and jump out on a limb here and say I don't think he intended that to happen. But I think it's because we don't fully understand the truth that he gives even though he taught us while he was here in his earthly ministry, we still don't totally understand everything that he teaches us and that he taught us. But one day, we will. When he comes, and he's coming quickly, we will understand. It's not just that we'll understand the truth. It's not just that all of a sudden it's going to be like, oh, I get it, thanks. We are going to be able to reach out and touch truth himself. We are going to be able to reach out and give the way, the truth, and the life a hug, and he's going to hug us back. Jesus is the truth. And when we see him, when we are in his presence, as we come up to him, we will fully understand and everything will make sense. So he is pointed to what we will understand. Uh, Jesus also healed. He did that a lot. One of the things I love about Jesus, I love that he teaches because I'm a teacher, but when I see Jesus heal people and I see their lives changed in real tangible ways, he changed them. It's not just like, hey, you're going to feel better. He changed them from then and their life totally changed, right? He healed uh, blindness and sickness and people that were lame and people that couldn't talk and he healed the demon possessed and he brought people back from life or from death to life. He healed people in amazing ways. Why did he do it? Just so they'd feel better? No. Because he wanted people to, hey, look what I can do. No. Jesus healed people to show the power of God. He healed people so that they could understand that there's something deeper going on in them than just a cold that there's something deeper going on in them than the fact that they can't walk or that they've had this thing all of their life or they're dying of cancer. He has something more to say. The problem is sin. The problem is the root of all of the problems in the world. And so when Jesus, uh, the, these four friends lower a, one of their friends down through a roof and he cannot walk and they put him on this pallet and everybody is expecting Jesus just to pat him on the back and he's going to walk out of there, which he does. The first thing that Jesus says isn't, go ahead and walk. The first thing he says to the man is, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Because Jesus knows the real problem of our problems. These are all symptoms, sickness, blindness. They're all symptoms of the real problem. And Jesus came to show that he has power not only over the symptoms, but he goes after the root of the problem. My issue, though, is that now we still live in the midst of this sickness and this hurt and this pain. We look around the world and people are killing people and people are dying in natural disasters and we don't know what to do. We don't know how to react, so we react out of fear because that's really where we are. We don't understand. We saw Jesus heal so many people, but now we don't see the healing. We see people slowly dying. But when Jesus comes, not just the symptoms will be gone, the problem will be too. Because he will come and destroy sin and death. Death will die. Just a soggy-eyed preacher. This is why he came. This is why he came. All of his life and his ministry and his teaching led to that moment where he gave his life for us. Where he died so that we didn't have to. And in that way, he atoned for our death so that we would no longer be found guilty. So that we could wash ourselves in the blood of the Lamb. But still we struggle. Just like Paul, sometimes days we do things we don't want to do and we don't do things that we want to do. And every day we feel like we're just digging deeper holes into these habits, into these things that just surround us. And every day it seems that this didn't quite work, Jesus. I'm still, it still hurts, it still struggles, I still don't know what to do. But when he comes again, when he comes again, this action that he started here, this coming of the kingdom that he started here with this action on the earth will be fulfilled And all of these things, again, will be gone. Come quickly, Jesus. Now, how do we prepare? That's the question, right? How do we prepare for this coming? How do we prepare for Jesus coming quickly? Because we want to be ready, right? And we're not the first people to ask this question. We're not the first people to, to ask, well, how do I get ready for this? Maybe you haven't asked this question. Maybe you should. I'll ask it for you. Paul writes to a a church in Thessalonica who asked this question. They're like, I think Jesus is coming back soon. What do I got to do? What what, what do we got to get ready? Everybody turn to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. I've already got it marked in my Bible, so I'll probably start reading early. It'll be up here too. Uh, But he says this in in, in the fifth chapter of Thessalonians. He's talking to them, and he's giving them uh, advice on how they need to prepare because some of them are worried about this. Right? They've, some people believe they've had friends that have died and they're not sure what's going to happen to them or they're not sure if they're ready themselves. And so he gives them this advice. He says, Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. And they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are also doing. What I find interesting here is that Paul, I I, I don't know if I never realized this, but this is another time Paul uses the analogy of armor. And I don't, like, I'm a preacher's kid. I went to Bible college. I'm really disappointed in myself. Okay? But here he talks about a breastplate and a helmet. Right? He doesn't go into all the details he does in Ephesians 6. But um, he talks about three things with these two parts. He talks about faith, love, 
and the hope of salvation. See, for Paul, faith is rooted in the truth of what Jesus is doing and what he's taught and the truth of the word that he reads. His faith is rooted in what he knows and the words that he will obey. And the love that he teaches is driven by God's love. His actions are driven by, as he said, in view of God's mercy, then the love that he gives is only the love that he has been given in the first place. And lastly, he talks about the hope of salvation, which is the foundation of all of these things, the salvation of who we are and what, uh, or the salvation of uh, what God has done for us, saving us from our sins. This is what we have hope in. Now, how do we prepare for Jesus coming quickly? I'm going to say it's the same way that we prepare for celebrating Christmas. How do we truly celebrate Christmas? Is it about lights? Is it about carols? Is it about food? No. How do we celebrate Christmas? Well... We celebrate Christmas rooted in the truth that Christ is the season. That Christ is the reason that we celebrate. Now, I'm not going to uh, like start a war on the war on Christmas. okay? But I want to tell you that it didn't start with a red cup. It didn't start with holiday trees. It didn't start with happy holidays. As long as there has been darkness in this world, the light will be misunderstood. As long as there is darkness and there has been darkness in this world, the light will always be tried to be pushed away. But what does John say? The darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness will not overcome it. The truth, the light of the world, is the reason that we celebrate this season. And why? Because of the hope we have in salvation. The reason we celebrate Christmas isn't because Jesus was a cute baby. The reason we celebrate Christmas is because he came to save us. We don't celebrate the birth of Daniel R. Hammond because I'm just an ordinary guy. People don't celebrate it across the world. We celebrate the life of Jesus because of the death of Jesus and what it did. Because he is our hero who saved us. Now lastly, and this is the one I want to focus on, is this. <clears throat> How do we prepare? See, these other things are things that we know and we can understand. This one, this is when it becomes an action. These are the actions that we take to prepare for Christmas. What do we do? Well, Christmas has always been my favorite time of year. Always. Always has been. Okay, uh, I have a feeling that it always will be especially now that Star Wars is coming out around that time. But, but, but the thing is, is that I always remember getting gifts, and I loved it, right? You ask for something, Christmas, boom, it's there. It's wonderful. Unwrapping the gifts, the experience, the family, all of these things were fantastic, all of these gifts. And then I grew up. And I remember one Christmas where I, I got something that I really asked for. I think it was like NBA Jam. On Sega Genesis? Yeah, okay, so that's not my proudest moment. Scratch the, menace, the Phantom Menace thing, okay? Uh, I got real, I mean, like, I got so excited. Like, I know little kids get excited with gifts, but I got so excited that it, I, I, like, eclipsed all of the other excitement in the room to where everybody looked at me awkwardly. Like, that's a, a weird I got over this game. And I remember this moment, and I look back on it a little bit embarrassed. Still, Right? But I think that looking back on that, I've realized that getting gifts isn't what it's all about. But what I have seen is that giving gifts, for whatever reason, and we see the dark side of giving gifts, Black Friday. We see the dark side of giving gifts. 
We see what it can turn people into when they have to get a deal, right? But a lot of the times people are giving out of habit. They're giving for the wrong reason. Sometimes though people give for the right reason. But I think that what we see in giving is a preview of what the season is all about. We see, even in the misunderstood giving, we see a preview, a pointing to of what the season is all about. Giving. Now, the next few weeks, uh, Mike said, we are going to be talking about uh, the expectation of Jesus coming, and they're going to talk about uh, all of these different elements and these different things that are going to happen as Jesus uh, comes back and all these promises. But I want us to prepare for the season. I want us to prepare for Jesus coming back. And I want us to prepare to celebrate the gifts that he has given. So what I want you to do, and my challenge to you, is to be prepared to give. Look for opportunities to give. Look for opportunities to give to other people. And it, and it can be a gift, but it doesn't have to be. You can give your time. You can give your attention. You can give your presence. You can give food. You can give a table to eat food at. You can give a home that's warm and inviting. You can give a hug. You can give a shoulder to cry on. You can give a lot of things that don't cost money. But they're worth a lot. But the reason that we give, the reason that we give gifts is because we were given to in the first place. Pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that you have given to us. We thank you that uh, you not only came once to show us and to teach us and to heal those that were around you and to come and save us from our sins, but I thank you so much that a day is coming when we no longer have to live in the pain of this world and the hurt of this world. But let us not just escape where we are. I pray that you can give us the courage and you can give us uh, the love to give to others. And I pray that in that giving, people can see the love of Jesus. I pray that in that giving, people can see the heart of God and they can see this Father who loves them. And that they'll come to you and they'll have their robes washed clean and they'll listen to your words and then they will give in return. It's in your son's name that I thank you so much for this season. Amen.